Hi guys, welcome to uh, another episode of Elephant Out the Room. We're in the studio again, me and Charlie Hilton. You'd love to see it. So, as you can see from the title, we're going to be talking about music psychology and mainly in, in reference to our module last year. This is because we looked at our modules in kind of, I'd say, a small small amount of detail from last year. We kind of explained what whether we liked it, um, what we liked about it as well. But I particularly liked semester two of music psychology. And the reason being was each lecture or kind of each week we looked into how music relates to certain things. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. It's a distant memory. <laughs> I, I, I do vaguely remember it, yeah. Okay, well it should come back to you as we look at each one. So the reason I thought this would be interesting, I think obviously music psychology is important to music as a wider context, and you'll see why as we go into to each one. Um, but yeah, without, without further ado, uh, the first I wanted to talk about was how music moves me. So just to kind of set a prerequisite as well, each lecture we'd, we'd look at different studies um, that have, that were highlighted that kind of focus on these sort of things and they're more evidence-based. I don't particularly want to go into studies. I prefer to look at personal experience. Uh, we obviously don't have them to hand, so we can talk about per personal experience, about how music moves me. Um, did you want to kick things off? Like, just kind of think, think about how music moves you, what kind of music moves you, and in what way does it do that? I'm not talking about emotionally. I'm talking more physically. Also, oh, is in how it makes me move. Is in like dancing. You mean? Yes, that could be an oh. example. Um, well, it's, an, it's a difficult one to start. <laughs> it is off. a difficult one. I think something that I'd notice would be, um, I tap my foot all the time, and as a drummer, I drum like with my hands all the time, and I nod my head all the time. And I think even if it's just five seconds of music, I groove to it just for like a split second, then it goes away. Even if you're like describing a song to me, you, oh, you go, oh, that song that goes like this, you start singing it. And I kind of groove to it. And I think rhythmically, that's where it is. So what makes you move? I, for me, it's not the pitch or the harmony or the texture. It's the, it's the rhythm. It's the groove. Um, so the drums, probably for me, especially as a drummer, I listen to drums in pieces and it makes me move. Um, the tempo and the feel and the meter. So so you could argue that that's based on, obviously Charlie has a lot of experience, started very young uh, when he was drumming. So that kind of relates to that, whereby you, obviously drumming's essential for keeping the beat and for kind of hearing that rhythm. Yeah. So I imagine that that's where it's come from. Yeah, absolutely. And I think rhythm is something... Um, quite unique in music because you don't need to be able to play uh, or sing in tune you don't have to be able to know about stuff so for example if you hit a drumstick against a table that's technically a rhythm but for you to be able to play the piano you do need to be able to play them in the right order at the right time so rhythm is probably the most accessible um, and I think you know you probably find studies with like babies would um, hear things like rhythm you know in the womb or whatever Interesting enough, I read that last week as part of my psychology. Um, I mean, this is kind of a, a bit of a, it's not kind of evidence completely, but a theory is that a lot of people like pop music generally because of the, the rhythm and the beats that it tends to follow. And that obviously when we're, when we're in the womb for nine months, we're, we're hearing that kind of just steady rhythm of the heartbeat, which is why we might kind of like particularly when we're younger when we're babies we might like kind of solid rhythms like that because it reminds us of our maternal instinct yeah i think also um 
linking to that kind of adolescence topic is what genre of music you listen to from a young age. So for me, uh, just a moment ago, we were talking about progressive music. That is, um, well, I guess one of the tropes of progressive music is having odd meters, having weird um, tuplets and having fives and sevens. So to your average listener who's not a musician, if it's not in four or maybe six, they're going to have a hard time dancing to it or feeling the pulse. Whereas me, I hear seven as natural as four. Yeah. Um, if you listen to a lot of 50s music, like I know you do, a lot of that's in four or in six, eight. So people, especially in the in the Western world, see that as that's the only meters I can dance to because it's a even number or whatever, so it, it rolls around nicely. So I think for me, listening to a lot of progressive music, it makes me move in a different way. And, uh, for example, dancing in 5-4 is so different because somebody would say, oh, that's an extra beat that I have to count. Um, but for me, it's so natural now because I listen to so much of it. So I think exposing yourself to different genres of music at an early age, especially ones that are quite cerebral, like prog, where you have to think about it. That's a good example. I was exposed to a lot of Frank Sinatra when I was younger. So that probably explains why I really like dancing to 50s and swing. Um, I particularly want to to learn swing dancing actually because I love the way that the dancing itself the way it moves to the music I can't think of many other types of dance that really connects with the music in that way um, obviously I do a lot of dancing to like modern pop as well um, that's more kind of in in nightclubs I guess that's one of the best things to dance to I wanted to bring up something interesting about what, what, whether you think for me there's two types of people when you're out in any situation it could be a shopping center restaurant or a pub just anywhere that has background music there's two types of people there's someone that recognizes when there's a a musical change so there's a song that comes on that kind of either means something to the both of you or means something to you and you acknowledge that change and there's a there's the person that doesn't that they don't kind of they're I don't know what that is, whether they're just focused on the conversation or not necessarily thinking about the music that's playing. I always form in, I always land in the former. Whenever I'm out, I kind of always notice a, a, a song being played. And if it's something that's Bowie or something that I've just heard, I've just heard that a few weeks ago and it's being played now. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's the difference between listening and hearing. Um... Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think... Um... You hear everything, assuming that you don't have some acoustic troubles. Um, you hear everything. So when you're in a restaurant, like you said, you can hear um, the barman shaking a cocktail. You can hear your mum talking to you. You can hear whatever. You can still hear the music. Um, we don't have the um, oral ability to be able to solo something that's um, in the background so we can't say well, I'm just going to hear what you're saying but you can say I'm just going to listen to what you're saying and that's a totally different thing and I think it's like for example if you sleep to music you're not actually listening to it but you're hearing it because um, if you're listening to it you probably find it quite hard to go to sleep mm. because you're analysing it and uh, you're actually listening to it as a piece of music rather than an atmosphere or a vibe. So, yeah, I think for me I would be the person who listens to the music but by listening you have to hear it obviously. Um, so you can't listen without hearing, but you can hear without listening. Does that draw away your kind of, let's say you're in a conversation? Are you less in that conversation because, as we said, both of us are more listening to the background music or are we still able to balance everything out in a fair way? I just I, wasn't wondering yeah. if I'm still present when I'm speaking to people. It's a good question. 
I don't know. I think some things are so natural for us now that we don't have to think about them. So if you if you take a baby, for example, I remember like when my cousins were younger, if you play a sound, their face like lights up and they go, oh, what's that? And their eyes go massive. You drop something on the floor, the baby starts crying. And um, as you get older, you don't think about things as much detail. For example, when I'm talking to you now, I'm not thinking, right, I need to breathe. You know, I need to keep my eyes open. It's just something I'm doing. And I think when you're in a, like, a restaurant environment, you know what's happening. You've been in there so many times, you know there's going to be music, you know there's going to be people walking about. So you can still uh, retain concentration. But there are people like with um, ADHD who obviously find that quite difficult. But I wouldn't say that just because there's um, stuff in the background, it impairs you from... Taking part in what you're yeah. doing at that time. Yeah. I mean, maybe it does. I often find myself, yeah, you, you're kind of looking at someone, you're not really listening to what they're saying, you're just listening to something in the background. I do hate it when that happens. And uh, I think it can be quite obvious after a while when you don't reply to what they've just said. Yeah, I think so. But I, th- I think at the end of the day, people enjoy music but they don't have to be listening to it intently to enjoy it. To enjoy it. It's, that's why I think it's so essential for a lot of social gatherings to have music on. Mm. In the yeah, background. exactly. People aren't necessarily listening to it, but because they can hear it, it might even put them more at ease in, in kind of difficult social situations. Yeah, so absolutely. I'm very pro-music in that. Absolutely. I feel like in some social situations, you feel like you're suffocating if you haven't got music on. And like if, if, the, um, if the piece has like a massive fade-out or it's got like a five-second bit of silence, I notice that. When the music stops, I kind of look about and I think, oh, what was that? Mm-hmm. It's like there's moments in class, you know, when everybody coincidentally stops talking at the same time and there's just silence and you realise, oh, I don't actually like silence very much. No. Um, so, yeah, I agree with that. So, my final question on how music moves me, and I'll, I'll set up a bit of a kind of through my experience. Sometimes I genuinely feel that I can't control what my body does when the music's on. And I can give a lot of examples. I can think even to something like La La Land mm. or Star Wars or Harry Potter where the, the music really is so kind of... It just brings so much like emotion and, and, and awe that even my body kind of moves to that. I don't know kind of what, in what way it moves to it, but I don't always feel like I'm in control of, of the way my body's moving to, to music. Basically, what I'm saying is I dance and I can't sometimes can't even stop dancing do you feel that you have that as well I, I know you kind of your music taste is slightly different in that i wouldn't always imagine that you could dance to progressive or heavy metal in the same way you could dance to swing but you, you i might be wrong i think um there's a fantastic challenge which was um uploaded onto youtube which was a metal video and it was try not to headbang and you listen to music which is the perfect tempo and um, has the perfect phrasing to headbang to. And that was a video where I realised how difficult it is not to move. And, yeah, like you said, I mean, you don't see people um, doing, you know, classic ballroom dancing to Metallica. Yeah, Um, (laughs) I'd love to see that. (laughs) But I think there's ways of moving in different genres, so headbanging is quite a a stereotypical um, cliché of that genre. But... In that video, I was hearing songs which I really enjoyed and I really wanted to move to because I'd, something about it, something about when you lock into a rhythm, you're inside the music and you, I don't know, I don't know what the you word can't, is. You can't just sit there and, that's why I struggle to go to, to gigs or, or classical, even a classical event where my body doesn't move in some way. I can't just stand still to a, a, 
a brilliant piece of music. Absolutely. I think uh, a common thing for me as well um, is I often pull faces, which some would say are quite grotesque. I pull faces when I hear something I like. Um, so if there's a really, um, let's say like a saturated guitar tone, it's playing a really heavy riff, my face will be smeared with gurn. I'll just be, I'll be, oh, that's such a filthy tone, I love it. And I can't help but pull that face, or I can't help but go, oh, that's amazing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think that's individual just to music. I think that's the same with anything. When you see something that blows you away, you don't just have a straight face to it. Um, like reacting to a film, even. Yeah, exactly. Um, but there's just something about wanting to show other people your excitement that you just can't hold back. Well, it's very beneficial if you're a performer and you see... If you see people like reacting internally but not externally to music, you kind of don't know if they're enjoying it. So I guess there's some sense in a react. You have to react in a really positive way, in just a way that you'd like to, which is why what makes gigs and what even a heavy metal gig so so crazy because people are really just going for it. You know, if they're mosh pitting, they're, that that's them just absolutely going with it with in in with the music. Yeah, I think it needs to be genre appropriate as well because <laughs> obviously if there's like a uh, Chopin piano concerto. Um, People are just mosh pitting in the front, (laughs) banging into the piano. (laughs) And I think, you know, just throwing the drinks about. And I think, for me, that's not appropriate. But sometimes when I listen to it, I really want to stand up and just, like, cheer and go, that was unbelievable. But you can't clap in between movements. Mm. But that's the beauty. I saw a a quartet a few days ago, and that's the beauty of being in a a classical performance. Because I think in most scenarios, you can kind of speak, chat, sing along... I love the stillness and I I couldn't even drink my water during the performance out of like being a bit scared about making a noise like me even moving the seat was a, was a bit daunting but I think that adds to the the just beauty of it that just the way that it needs to be total silence to just hear the piano and and hear the changes and dynamics and and stuff absolutely I think that's the the pureness and the honesty of classical music because people don't hide behind um production they don't hide behind, um, you know, synthesizers or um, incredible production in software. It's just someone is playing an instrument, they've picked it up and they're playing it acoustically and you're hearing the reverberance in the room. You have to be quiet to appreciate that and hear the subtleties. Whereas if you go to, let's say, a, a gig at, um, even like a festival like Leeds or Reading, you can talk all the way through that because it's it's more about the vibe and it's so loud and it's so dense in texture you can afford to miss a few seconds of it and it doesn't really diminish the end result definitely couldn't agree more so we move on to our one of our kind of set i believe it was a second or third lecture talking about how are you creative in music so i I wouldn't say i've got too much experience of this what what i'd ask you is maybe just kind of a broad question but how firstly how is one creative in music and also how important is creativity when either performing or composing music that's a brilliant question i think first of all it's important to remember that you don't have to be creative to be a good musician and i think there are certain fields within music such as um composing um arranging things like that where you do need a vast quantity of Um, creativity I'd argue that if okay so let's say you take a Chopin piece and you put it on the piano and you play the dots you haven't written that so 
are you really being creative? And you might argue to me, you might say, okay, um, I'm not really being creative because I'm not creating anything, but I'm being creative in the sense that I'm interpreting the notes on the page. And there's different levels of creativity. For example, uh, MuseScore or Sibelius playback, if you put in uh, Chopin to that, there's no creativity in that. You're just putting in the notes, you haven't made anything. But when you play it as a human being, when you're playing it and you're really getting into the music, creativity is in there. But I would say creativity is most prominent with composing, I think, personally, because you are literally creating something from nothing. There's a blank canvas. Do you agree with that? I would agree with that, yeah. I think, as you touched on, I mainly have experience in performing. So I play a lot of, my, the, I guess, 80-90% of my piano playing experience is just playing something that's on a page, um, not necessarily written by Schoenfan, yeah, as we've discovered. It could have been um, kind of edited and written by someone else. But So Chopin, Mozart, Debussy. So the element of creativity there is very similar to what you said. It's how I interpret the notation and the markings on the page to then create my own kind of version of it. And that's where sometimes I need to recognise oh, I shouldn't just play what's on the page. Um, I should even slow down. Why can't I slow it right down? I mean, if I'm not doing a performance, I can really experiment with this with this kind of stuff. I don't do much composing, but I can see how that involves way more creativity just in terms of deciding everything about the piece um what you know what time signature what key how long is it going to be there, there what instruments am i going to use you know there's so much more that goes into it and obviously it's extremely important to be creative enough i feel that it's different from what's gone before i mean it will be different because you've written it. it i don't suppose anyone's written if you write a piece no one's ever written that before have they so yeah i, I think creativity is such a, a difficult thing to monitor as well because who's to say what's the most creative thing you can be as well and I think okay so you mentioned John Williams that's a good example so John Williams writes the score for Philosopher's Stone he gives the manuscript to a French horn player is that French horn player being creative now you might say well he hasn't created what I'm playing but you could say he's being creative in interpreting it. But what about if John Williams tells him exactly how to play it? And he says, I want you to throw creativity out the window. I want you to play exactly what I've written. That's not really creative. But there'll be other more lenient composers and arrangers who will say you can be creative on my creativity. But yeah, I, I don't think it's a necessity. And I think some people are just not creative people. I know, in, in all walks of their yeah. life, not just music. Yeah. No, I think I've got a lot of friends who are mathematicians who have, haven't got an ounce of creativity in them. Um, they just learn an assembly line of really difficult equations. They learn formulas. They learn how to do things. But unless they're going to apply that made in like a an engineering, innovative sense... But if they're just a maths teacher, that's not creative. You're just telling people about stuff that you haven't made yourself, and you can't deviate from that because that's the standard now. Now, that doesn't mean that you're bad if you're not creative. I just think there are different levels of creativity, and within music. But so I think can, you, what, what is a mu can you give an example of a musician who's not particularly creative? Is it someone who would... I mean, can you be a musician if you're not creative? I think so. Okay. I think you can be... Um, okay, we won't name any names because that's not fair, but um, if you are a lecturer who 
teaches a module which doesn't require you to have much musical knowledge. Mm. So let's say you're doing a music theory uh, course. You can't create theory. That's impossible. You can't, um, you can't invent a chord. You can't invent a note. So that's not really very creative. Now, you might argue, okay, Bach was creative in creating the 12-tone system. But as soon as that's established, what can you do other than that? And people like John Cage and Pierre Schaefer, yeah, they are creative and using the elements. But, yeah, I'd, I think you could easily be a musician who's not particularly creative. Mm-hmm. But then I don't really want to get into this because this will, is another podcast in itself. But you have to define what is a musician and what makes you a musician. Do you have to be able to play an instrument to be a musician? Yeah, no. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. Um, no, I don't, well, if we take John Williams for example, he's written incredible music scores. He never performs. He doesn't really play instruments. I know he plays a bit of piano, he's a bit of jazz, but he writes all these amazing things. He can't play French horn, but he writes for French horn. Yeah. But I don't think you have to be able to play an instrument to be a musician. I just think it's very difficult if you don't. Yeah, because you don't have that. If you're a composer or even a conductor, I'd imagine that you'd need to play it so you have an understanding of what's involved. Yeah, in, exactly, in yeah. You need to work out what's idiomatic for that instrument and you need to work out what will work and what won't work, which is obviously process of elimination. Um, I'll be interesting to see if we can find a, a musician who doesn't actually play an instrument. And obviously I would encompass uh, singing as an instrument. But just to say, okay, how many musicians who you'd class yourself as a musician's here and you can't play music. Like, you, you can't play an instrument. Because I, I, I think that, for example, the requirement to get into the uni leads didn't necessarily say you need to play an instrument, but a lot of the modules kind of involve some knowledge of mm. kind of how to play, like, in interpreting music and kind of music theory. Even in the psychology of music, we have lectures on the um, psychology of performance. So it would be good for you to understand what it's like to play an instrument, what it's like to perform that, the difficulties evolving that as well yeah but we neither of us do the performing modules no so we could realistically we could turn up to interpreting music and we don't need to play an instrument that's very true um and with music psychology probably the most obvious one you don't need to play an instrument for that you can just be a psychologist you can apply psychology um to music you don't have to be an instrumentalist that's very true um final question on that what do you think is the genre of music that seems to be most creative or, or or kind of what what involves the what genre kind of relies upon creativity to to have it in the first place or to continue or to be of interest oh that's a very lengthy question um i think there's two ways i would look at it um and they're both the opposite of each other so if we start this is totally incorrect but let's hypothetically say that the first genre of music was um medieval music then it goes renaissance baroque classical you could argue that the most creative people have to be the first people because they've got nothing to go on but then you'd have to go all the way back through history yeah to when we originally made music as exactly yeah 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 that's why it doesn't work which is hypothetically <laughs> why i said we start with medieval yeah so okay so let's say you've got medieval renaissance let's say william bird for example you could argue he's the most creative because he was one of the first and he had no influences so that's pure creativity nothing else so you might say okay well that means that beethoven is less creative than bird because he came a lot after and he's just copying or you could argue 
the complete opposite, which is you have to be more creative the further along you get, because you have to do more things, um, more effort to be individual. Sound different, yeah, yeah, to be individual, yeah. So, yeah, and you listen to it. You listen to Bach's music now, and it's puerile. It's just it's cliche, infantile rubbish. A lot of the time, you think <laughs> that that is just dreadful. But you think, well, wait a second. What about the context? Okay, that was done in seventeen twenty. Mm. think that's incredible but if that came out now you wouldn't think that was creative then you think okay Beethoven comes along you go well he's way more creative than Bach but that's because he had Bach, Scarlatti, Mozart, Haydn before him to uh, take that from him and a more modern example is the Beatles Um, and I hate the argument of they are the best band because they were the first I know they weren't the first band, but they were the first, I'd say, commercially successful, massive boy band. People argue that they are the most creative and they are the best because they were first. And in my opinion, if your only thing going for you is your place in history, it's a bit weak. Yeah. So, yeah, what what do you think? Well, I know you said about the genre. I didn't really answer your question there, so I I don't know what I'm doing. Um, But in terms of a genre, are you thinking there's something that's most creative then? it's difficult to say isn't it but i for some reason i think of jazz um the reason i say that is because well i guess it's more improvisation which we'll be going into but there there does seem to be a lot of creativity in in i guess the performance of jazz there's more creativity rather than because it seems to me that sometimes in jazz you can have a piece or you don't even have notation but you just kind of have to be creative within that within those means and for other genres of music that I've listened to, um, and that could be classical or rock or pop, there seems to be as like there's usually notation to follow, or more of an understanding of the, of the remits you can be in, whereas you need to be more creative with jazz in order to go in these different directions. But it's creativity based on really very good knowledge of what could work in that performance. Does that make sense? So creativity is only manageable based on the the person who's doing it, based on all their knowledge before that. Um, because I can't just, with no experience, go up to a guitar and just play anything. I mean, that would be like new music. But mm. I, you could call that creative in a way, but it's not, it's not quote-unquote quote good creativity because I'm not using any kind of skill to do that. Yeah. Well, I think, I think okay, if we take jazz, like you were saying, which is an interesting example, if we put... Um, J.S. Bach versus uh, Miles Davis. In a one-on-one One-on-one, and in the red corner. (laughs) Um, So you've got those versus each other. Now, Miles Davis, I'm not... This is totally hypothetical. I mean, if this ever happened, I'd love to be there. Um, But... Get BBC involved. (laughs) So so Miles Davis would say, "Okay, I'm writing an album called uh, Kind of Blue. Um, I'm more creative than you, Mr. Bach, because I am doing extended chords and I am adding in dissonance, which you hate. And I am um, choosing my sonic palette uh, wisely with texture and with instrumentation. Bach could then say, um, you're less creative than me because you're only using the notes that I created. And then Miles Davis would probably go home and cry. Mm. Um, But it's like, okay, who's more creative? The person who created music as we know it with contemporary staff notation 12 tone system or a person who takes that and progresses it further 
which is why I love progressive music, because it's in the name. Prog is classical music played on contemporary instruments. So it's taking something or two things that exist, contemporary music and classical music, and it's progressing and using that. And there's a very big difference between um, progression and uh, new. Progression, you have to be taking something that already exists and bringing it forwards. And if you're being innovative and you're creating something from scratch, which is new, that's not progressive at all because you are creating something that has no predecessor. You're just going straight into it. Do you know what I mean? Isn't it? It's funny that you say that because you mentioned about how prog is like progressive classical. And I really like that idea of being innovative and creative. And But I dislike the idea of pop music completely. And the idea of pop music is that it's just a lot of it is made on commercial reasons. So it's a working formula that record companies have and they reproduce a working formula with artists that have worked in the past but are kind of a new and then they reproduce that for the masses and it really works it sells loads of records it's in the charts it's it's such a successful formula and that's why they keep doing it and i dislike that but i love the idea of prog but it's weird because ultimately it's important how it sounds as well right so pop music for me i don't even think it sounds that good but it's just such an easy music to have in i mentioned social situations again in in pubs and clubs to have that kind of set music that's socially acceptable to play from the majority of people. But, you know, you've kind of, like, what's the word? You, you've kind of gained, gathered my interest in listening to a bit of progressive stuff again. Um, just mainly because it's it's such a good, you know, it's such a good idea to do that. And it's, it's more of a musical thing. It's more of a respectable and creative way of, of looking at things. So I yeah. will definitely be exploring progressive music a bit more uh, i love progressive music and I, I like it from a musician standpoint because it's very technical and it's brilliant but i also like the concept and i think if i was to predict your thoughts on it i would say that you love the concept but you don't like the execution which would be similar to something like new music where i love the concept of building an instrument but i don't like the yeah eventual outcome exactly but there, there will be some progressive music where you go oh i really like that how they've done that and you might even say oh i would have done that differently um, but you've just got classical musicians who were in the 1970s, so in amongst um, the Rolling Stones, Bee Gees, um, even the Beatles. You've got people who go, right, I want to make proper music with proper musicians, or as they would think it, classical. And they go, and I want to make this commercially accessible to everyone. And especially when my um, dad was a child, progressive music was popular and he liked it. Um but you're saying you don't like pop music. I would actually argue that you don't like contemporary pop music because I'd say Mozart was a pop star. And you'd probably argue that the the 50s and 60s stuff that I really like... That's pop music. Or the Elvis... Yeah. yeah. It's popular music. Beethoven was pop music back in the day. And Debussy was pop. And it's people who were just popular amongst culture. So why don't... And I even like 80s pop music. So why don't, in the last 20 to 30 years... I wouldn't say I don't like all of it because I can appreciate things like, even more recently, Dua I probably loved things like the Black Eyed Peas growing up, um, listened to Adele, Florence and the Machine. So there is pop artists that I do like, but why do you think in the last 30 years in particular I haven't listened to pop music or I don't appreciate as much as maybe the 50s and 80s periods? So there's two reasons. There's two years. There's 1983 and 1999. 1983 was the creation of MIDI. 
1999 was the creation of a door. So those two things, when put together, essentially means that you require zero talent to output music. So if we take 1950s music, if we take 1970s music, you could only be a successful musician if you put a lot of hard work in, you were talented, and had the money to do so. When MIDI came along, and when Doors came along, a lot of them free now, you can be in your bedroom, you can be completely absent of any musical um, strengths, and then you can just put it straight on Spotify. So I think the calibre of someone is now irrelevant, because with MIDI technology and with um, digital audio workstations, it doesn't require you to put the hours in or be a good musician. Um, so if we take someone like, um, if we compare Elton John to Stormzy, Elton John was in a time where he used tape, you had to play in time, you had to sing in key, you had to pay for studio time, you had to employ world-class musicians, and what you get is a, a basically a soup, if you like, of talent and hard work and money versus Stormzy, I'm not, this is not attacking him on a personal level, this is just him in a studio environment, you could recreate Stormzy's music with a 200 quid laptop, with a free door in your room, with a crap pair of headphones, with no musical ability. So with having MIDI and a door, it means that you could potentially just be successful without having to have any kind of ability. So I'd argue uh, here slightly that it seems that the parameters for being talented have slightly changed in that obviously Stormzy would need to be talented in l lyrically if he writes his own lyrics and he'd need to be talented at singing or rapping uh, in order to, to be as successful as he has done, if that makes sense. It does, but I wouldn't say lyrics and singing is music. I yeah, just think that's I guess, yeah, I guess, just a poem. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's your definition of what makes someone musical. I completely agree, though, that you'd probably look... And, again, it's not just Storms, it's most artists, with exception of a few, don't seem to be able to sing or play an instrument as well as artists of before. Exactly. Right? So Exactly. I think, okay, if you take away um, the term MIDI and door, if I just say it to you as it is... I would say, imagine there was something which meant that you never had to sing in tune ever again. You never had to play in time ever again. Um, you never had to play the right notes ever again. You never had to play an instrument ever again to write something. Um, in 1986, the first completely synthesised film score, which was the original Transformers movie, came about. Now, that was um, a pianist called Vince DiCola, but he wrote for drums, bass... Um, horn strings but he clicked it all in on a mouse it, he didn't it didn't require him to be able to play any of those instruments is is there any talent in itself of being able to do that on the computer yes yeah i think there is and i think vince dakota is an incredibly talented person um and he is a musician that came from uh an era of tape and pre-midi and he just went into midi and with open arms and said i'm going to encompass this in my um compositions but there are people who have never experienced a 1970s motown studio or tape and they just think oh music's really easy i can just click it in with a mouse click quantize click auto-tune and it's done so that might that might be why you don't like modern music as much because as a musician you appreciate talent and hard work and etiquette 
and you don't get that much. There are still people who still use tape. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I'd, the only thing I disagree there is is obviously talent. Maybe I, I'd agree, but hard work. It's difficult to say whether people are working less hard now than they did before, because I don't. I wouldn't know. Maybe it's it, it's a lot. It's different work, and and one may view it as not as. It one may view it as easier to do, but it doesn't necessarily mean that musicians now don't work as hard. I'm I think not sure. I, I think the effort is put into a different sector. Mm. So you don't need to work as hard as being a musician because you click a button and you're automatically in time. So you don't need to practice or so rehearse. In terms, of, yeah, play, I could agree there. So playing an instrument. You don't need to work as hard now as no. you did back then to to actually the, the skill of playing it. If you're a, let's say, a popular musician, because there's yeah. so many genres now that has still has people playing instruments. Like in, even in classical, there's still classical pianists now that are incredible. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. Oh, absolutely. But if you go back to the 1960s and you think, okay, um, the record um, producer, the engineer, the mastering engineer, the performers have to get a great sound, um, and they have to do this without the aid of computers. And now you've got all these presets, so you don't need to mic up a piano because you've got a preset which you just click piano. You don't need to play in time because you just click quantize. You don't need to worry about um, dynamics and everything because you can just automate it. So it's kind of just taking away. I saw something interesting, actually. It was um, about pilots, and it was saying um, so much of the um, pilot and air industry is automated now. So back in the day, you had to be able to, as they said, fly a plane, and now you have to press buttons. Now, you could say, okay, that means that pilots are less talented than they were before. But you could also say the introduction of new technology means that they need to focus their talents elsewhere. Yeah, I, I'd go with the latter. I think it's more of a change of, of, of what you have to do. Yeah. And it doesn't always mean... Sometimes it feels like it does mean that there's less talent, but other times it could just be a, a different thing you need to be aware of, because... The the pilot now couldn't do what the pilot did back in the day, and vice versa. Yes. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, I just think the the skill sets change, um, and for me, I think as much as I love MIDI, and I think MIDI and digital audio workstations are the two biggest things that happened to music in the last hundred years. I would say that a lot of it is to the detriment um, of musicality and yeah. quality. I can agree there. So we're actually running out of time slightly. We had quite a lot of topics that we wanted to talk about, which included music and film, music and travel, and how music mo moves me emotionally. But, excitingly, we can do an, a second episode of this kind of format and, and go into those if you're happy to. But in the meantime, for our kind of last thing that we'll look at today is music and improvisation. And it's something that, again, Charlie would have definitely more experience than myself. Um, just being... So if we look at it on a, a piano-based, performance-based level, as I mentioned, I play a, lot of, um, play a lot of music just from a piano book. So improvisation is... It's very important, I think, for progression, but it's not something that I do. And first, it's, it's even something that... You think, where do you start? And rather than just trying to improvise, I think it comes with, and again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it comes with knowing a lot of knowledge about music theory. So knowing what notes are going to, to sound good together, what chords can follow each other, which I don't necessarily have. So if I were to 
yeah, look into improvisation, that would be my first step. But do you just want to, it'd be useful if you gave a bit of a background on, because I think that is one of your main talents is improvisation. So what, when did you start improvising and how, how important do you think it is to your overall craft of music? Well, I think, yeah, I would agree with you and say that improvisation is my biggest strength, I'd say, out of anything. But what's funny is, is that I would say every musician can only improvise first because they just by pressing a few notes on a piano when you're a child in no particular order if you're not reading anything it's only improvisation so technically I was improvising from the very first second I started playing the piano but if we get a little less um, <laughs> uh, unspecific if we get a bit more specific um, because I think when you say improvisation you're talking about um, once you have a musical understanding and you're talking about that so I'd say I find it difficult to just stick to the page and I love playing my own variations on pre-written things as well as just playing anything that comes to my head well that's on the basis of it now you just said it that seems more exciting yeah you know rather than just that's in the case for anything rather than just kind of follow something not blindly but being able to just kind of go out your comfort zone or just move move the goalpost slightly. Yeah, exactly. It just sounds more exciting and keeps you on your toes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you can be the most pure form of improvisation is um, just sit down and you play with no thought and you just see where it comes out and you think, I want to go this way, I want to see this colour, I want to hear this. Um, whereas I could also improvise Chopin. Is that, uh, just on that, is that an automatic process for you? Sometimes you'd, you'd sit there and your your hands lead your lead you rather than you thinking about what you're playing your kind of your hands and your kind of motor fun motor, motor functions is able to to play that even before you've necessarily considered playing it yeah i think there's a there's a few things that happen um so quickly um simultaneously when you're improvising one of them is muscle memory i know shapes i know my own tropes i know how to play pretty much every scale that there's been in classical um, examination boards. Um, I understand music theory. So, for example, if I play a C major chord, there's part of me that's going, okay, I'm now in C major. There's part of me that just says, I've just played a C major chord. That doesn't mean anything. When I start improvising in C major, I then think, okay, what are the diatonic chords? Where's the dissonance? What have I played before? How am I going to do that? Where do I want to go to? What chord is home? is another one and I think I think about it visually so if we say C major is home that's the tonic think about it as a journey are you going to go to the supermarket and come back home okay that'll be C G C just perfect cadence no turbulence there what about if I go to the supermarket come back I see a girl crying I feel a bit sad then I'm home okay that's C major F major, F minor. Has this happened? Yeah, <laughs> it's F, F minor, C major. They think, okay, what about if I went to the supermarket, came back, got stabbed, got shot, got run over by a tank, nearly got home, fell over just before I got home, realised I actually went to the wrong home, apologised to that woman, go back to my home. And you think, how do you represent that? And it's just, you think, okay, what's the tonic? Where's the dissonance? Where's the tension release? Which bit am I going to play in unison? What register do I play it in? And that's just like a visual representation is what I'm saying. I'm not saying I definitely think that every do time. Know, do you know what I've learned? You need to stop going to the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
things know. are happening when you do. I know. <laughs> but I, I think that's the way that I see it. Not necessarily just as a supermarket analogy, but I see, okay, I want to play this and I want to go here. How am I going to get there? And part of it is I've played it so many times. I know where I'm going to go. It's practice. Yeah. yeah, it's practice. And one thing that is so difficult to do, which I've tried to describe to you before and I just can't, is how people who don't improvise how they can start and that is so difficult to me because no one told me to improvise um but i did no one told you to improvise and you didn't so for you if you were to say to me if you were to give me advice and you said okay how am i going to read music you just say lift your head up and open a book with me if i say to you i want you to improvise and you say how do i do that all i can say is just play whatever because as soon as you well, start it's a playing form notes, of improvisation isn't it yeah um, it is it is and as soon as you're playing notes that someone else has written you could argue improvisation percentage goes down doesn't mean that like i think a good way to start is if you play mozart uh, one of your favorites k545 c major sonata first movement play that as it is then play it with a little bit of color little you know spice it up a little penang. bit yeah exactly that's a bit of improv then play the piece, and on the repeat, don't play any of the same notes, but in the same style as Mozart, play something similar, as though he's written it. Now, that's where you would probably crumble a little bit and not know what to do. So I think, yes, it's to do with theory, it's to know with context as well, so what does Mozart do, what are his tropes? And it's also just practice, just like anything else, but it's so difficult to practice improvisation, one, because I've never done it, really, because I just do it. Um, it's like, if I asked you how to kick a ball, like you just do it yeah it's it's difficult when we learn from a young age it's very difficult to to then say how we did it or explain yeah explain away um i'm gonna have to cut you short unfortunately it's a oh. it's a stimulating conversation it's beautiful yeah one of our best podcasts that we've done um very interesting to look at creativity how music moves the body and improvisation but base it around personal experiences which is useful we didn't have time for music in film, music in travel, music in our emotions, so we will cover that in a later episode, I'm sure. But again, Charlie, thank you for your time. Any closing comments? Closing comments. I need to stop going to the supermarket. That's probably a good one. There we go. Or if you do, let's go to <laughs> Morrison's or even Waitrose. Let's treat ourselves. Yeah. That's the idea. Thank you for listening, guys. See you later. Well, let's go and have some pints. <laughs>